Today we're in Psalm 19. And if you would, uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 19, for the director of music, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, their sound is heard, no sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. And by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. All right. Well, we've been in this little in the Psalms. Uh, we do that from time to time. We go back to the Psalms whenever we're in between other things and we pick up where we left off. And, um, one day we'll get through the whole book of Psalms and we'll just start all over. Um, coming up here pretty soon, we're going to jump into a series of four weeks in the first two verses of the book of Hebrews. Uh, and the big question is, how do we read the Bible? And in those first two verses, we can pull out some principles that we see reflected all through Scripture. The Bible itself teaches us how to read the Bible. 
And we're going to look at four weeks, how to read the Bible out of the first few verses of the book of Hebrews. Uh, but until then, we have Psalm 19, and next week we'll have Psalm 20. Um, so, excited about that, but let's get down to Psalm 19 today. What is Psalm 19 all about? <clears throat> Psalm 19 is all about God's self-disclosure. God's self-disclosure. Kids, do you know what self-disclosure means? Do you know what it means for one to disclose one's self? Have you ever played hide-and-go-seek? Close. The opposite of that. You, you getting it, Sebastian? Yeah, so in hide-and-go-seek, one person is it, right? And that person goes and counts to 10 or whatever. Everyone else goes and hides. And then once the person reaches 10 or whatever number, they say, ready or not, here I come. And they go looking for the other people. Now, when they find somebody, they say, I found you. And that person is out. Until they find uh, everybody, right? Well, what happens if there's somebody that they can't find? And they search and search and search all the way to the point where the person who's it has to say, I give up. I can't find you. Well, then the last person hiding, what do they do? They come out of their hiding place and they say, here I am. Right? I was here the whole time. And everybody goes, oh. And you laugh. And that's what makes the game fun. Well, that stepping out and saying, here I am. That's self-disclosure. Disclosing oneself means showing yourself. It's like expressing yourself. It's saying, here I am. This is me. Now, God is deity. We are humanity. Those are very, very different from each other, right? God is Immortal. We are mortal. God is infinite. We are finite. God is unchanging. We are always changing. God is the creator. We are the creatures. The distance between us and God is so great. The difference between us and God is so great that we could never, ever, ever, ever find him searching for him on our own. It would be like playing hide-and-go-seek, except the person you're looking for isn't human. In fact, you can't see them or touch them. In fact, they're not confined to your time, space, or dimension. In fact, their version of hide-and-go-seek is so far beyond anything that we understand that it's ridiculous to even play the game. God is so different than us. The chasm between us and him, we could never find him on our own. In addition to that, each one of us as human beings, at one point or another, has pushed off and declared independence from God had said deep in our hearts, we're not even going to look for you anymore. We don't want to look for you. 
We'll make our own gods. That's called sin. Each one of us is a sinner. Each one of us lives in a world that's full of sin. We live in a world that's spinning out with sin. And you put all this together, the fact that we're sinners, the fact that we're human, and the great mystery that is God, we could never, ever fathom or apprehend on our own. Sometimes throughout the history of the world and even today, people wonder if maybe the idea of God is something that we came up with ourselves. Now, if we did, our idea of God would be much, much more like us than the God that we read about here. Because the God we read about here is nothing like us. So, in order for us to know God, in order for us to find God, to see God, to experience God, or to even know anything about God, God has to disclose himself to us. We can search and search and search and search all day long and only come up with ideas that come from our own imaginations. So God discloses himself. He says, here I am. Now, how does he do that? Well, Psalm 19 is a song all about how God does that. Psalm 19 is a song about God's self-disclosure. Psalm 19 tells us that God has said, here I am, to the world. And even though we're different than him, even though we're sinners, we can't find him. We can't know him, and we can't experience him. Because he's waving us down, saying, I'm right here. So, how does God disclose himself according to Psalm 19? What does Psalm 19 tell us about God's big, here I am? Well, it shows us that God discloses himself. uh, It shows us two ways that God discloses himself. Two means of self-disclosure, if you will. Two ways God jumps out and says, Right here. The first one, theologians have called general revelation. That's the big academic term. But what it means is that God discloses himself through the creation, through the created world. Let me put it like this. Through the created world, we can know about God. The psalmist writes, <clears throat> The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech, and night after night, they reveal knowledge. Now, the heavens here, that's not talking about, like, clouds with angels and harps and halos. It's not that kind of heaven. This is talking about, like, the heavens, like the sun and the moon and the stars, in the sky. Remember, David, who wrote this, was a shepherd. He spent lots of nights out on the open prairie looking up at the vast, beautiful stars. What he's saying is, I look at the sky, 
and it declares, it sings, it preaches the glory of God. It proclaims the work of his hands. He's telling us that the uh, the majesty, the power, the goodness, the beauty of God has been made known to people through the created order, through the sky, the sun, and the moon. And we can we can uh, by this we can also know that through the trees and through the oceans and the streams and now, many of us, we live in Oregon, so it's not hard. We don't have to drive far uh, to go out into nature and to go to places where we can look around and say, oh, man, God is awesome. Look at how beautiful this is. Now, that's what this is all about. David is saying that the beauty of nature, of creation, is God's self-disclosure. It's revelation. We can know about God from God by looking at the world he created. Now, I love that it says that uh, they proclaim the work of his hands. I love that it goes on and talks about how um, the sun is like a, uh, it's like a champion moving, like doing a victory lap. Or it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Of his chamber. What David is saying is like every day is the sky puts on a drama, puts on a play. He's talking about the creation as God's artwork. Now, he's saying that God is an artist. And through his art, we can know him. Now, that makes sense to us. You know, the famous... Uh, 17th century artist Rembrandt. You guys heard of that guy? Um, there was a really great article about Rembrandt. Some of us emailed around a while, while ago. Um, Rembrandt was a Dutch artist um, in the 17th century, my favorite century. We'll talk about that later. And he was famous for painting himself. One of the things he was famous for, painting himself in a lot of his paintings. You look at a lot of Rembrandt paintings and you look at the people and, oh, there's Rembrandt. Little self-portraits of himself. Now, students of Rembrandt's work have learned a lot about him by studying uh, the way that he paints himself into his art over the course of his career. One of the articles I read circulated around was talking about how one painting early in his career, you could see signs of Rembrandt's pomp and arrogance and ambition. And then when he went back and revisited this theme and this painting later in his career, you could see that he was the more humble. I, I don't know that much about that kind of art. I like reading those articles though, because that's pretty awesome and true art connoisseur can look at a painting and learn about the artist. This is talking about that kind of thing. We can learn things about God by looking at his artwork. Heaven and earth are his artwork. The sky puts on, it's his canvas, it's his stage that puts on his play every day. Human beings are his self-portrait. 
We are his image, his little picture of himself in the world. And all people everywhere, all over the globe, have access to this revelation. It says that even though they don't use words, the voice of the heavens, the voice of his art goes out throughout the whole earth. There's not a place where it's not heard. It's beautiful. So we would think, since everyone just about, uh, I think we can speak broadly and say just about uh, everywhere in the world you can see the sky, maybe unless you're in a cave or a heavily covered forest or something like that, you couldn't. But just about everywhere in the world you can see the sky. So everyone should be able to know about God, right? Wrong. Even though God has said, here I am through the creation, we still don't get it, do we? That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at in that passage we read earlier in Romans. He's reflecting on this idea that through the creation, God has made himself known. And he writes this, he says, He says, people suppress the truth by their wickedness. What could be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. When they're thinking they became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. God has made himself known everywhere through the creation. Why do we all not know about God? Well, the answer is because we tend to suppress that truth that he declares out in the world. We push it down. We deny it. Because our hearts are foolish. That would be like playing hide-and-go-seek, and you can't find the person. They jump out, and they say, here I am, and then you close your ears and go, la, 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 la. I can't hear you, and I still can't find you. Plugging our ears, hiding the artwork. Now, this is kind of a fun story. I could probably still do the sermon if I didn't tell you, but I have to tell you because it's awesome. At least I think it's awesome. You know, normally when I preach on Sundays, I try not to wear clothing that has like prints on it because I don't want to be distracting anybody. But today I wore a graphic tee because it says Fender on it and it has a picture of a 1951 original Leo Fender Telecaster on it. Now, all of this is because some of you know I am a huge nerd about guitars. I love them. Uh, they are, anyway, we can go on and on. All that to say that one of my favorite artists who's ever lived, this is a little bit dorky, but it's true. One of my favorite artists is Leo Fender, the guy that started Fender guitars, Fender musical instruments. Now, let me just defend that a little bit. Um, Leo Fender invented the solid body electric bass. He also... Um, invented the first mass-produced solid-body electric guitar, the Telecaster. Uh, and his early designs went on to like shape pop music and rock music in ways that the music that we hear on the radio 
What we do up here on Sundays, if it were not for the work of Leo Fender, would be totally different. This guy was a genius, and he was also pretty much almost all the way deaf. He was a true artist. Now, I can go on about that forever. Let me tell you the story. Leo Fender started Fender Musical Instruments in 1946, but he sold it in 1965 to CBS, the, the TV channel. He sold it to CBS in 65. That means that any Fender instrument, 1965 or before, is an original Leo Fender instrument. They're worth a whole lot more money. They're way rare. They're treasures. They are true works of art by a true artist. Now, when I was younger, when I was in college, one of my best buddies, his name is Derek. Derek and I were texting yesterday. Derek's grandparents on both sides are Southern gospel singers. They toured around the South singing Southern gospel. And one day, Derek, when he was, I guess, in high school, was at his grandma's house. And he was poking around, and he opened the door to the water heater closet. And propped up against the water heater in his grandma's house was a pristine, almost mid-condition 1965 Fender, original Fender, precision base in Lake Placid Blue, which was a custom order color at the time. This base is a holy grail. He finds it in the closet. He pulls it out. Oh, Grandma, what is this? Oh, Derek, that was your grandfather's. Great. Can I take it? Sure. Derek has that bass. He's been playing that bass for years. Now, here's why I tell you that story. That bass sat in that closet for years. A true work of art. A brilliant piece of uh uh, equipment, musical instrument, and beautiful design by a true artist. It's rare. It's worth a ton of money. It's a tool that's used to create beautiful music. In that closet, was it doing anybody any good? No. That's the last place in the world that bass should have been. And that bass sat in that closet until somebody came along and pulled it out and started making music on it, right? And then that piece of art by that brilliant artist came alive. And people all over the world have heard recordings of Derek's music playing that bass. People all over Memphis see Derek play almost every weekend play that bass. Awesome. Here's why I tell you that story. Because general revelation, as beautiful as it is, isn't enough. We suppress the truth. We put the base in the closet. We plug our ears. But even if we find it, we still need something more. Because looking at it isn't enough. We need to make music with it. We need to experience it. We need to connect with the God who put all this on. You see it? And that brings us to the second part of the song. 
So how does God say, here I am? How does God dispose himself? Well, through the creation, through general revelation, and we can know about God. And the second piece is this. Through his word. And through his word, we can do more than know about God. We can experience God. And we call that special revelation. Psalmist begins speaking about that in verse 7. Listen to this. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. What David is telling us is through his word, through his law, his statutes, his precepts, his commands, those are all words to describe God's written word. Now, when David was around, it was shorter. He had less of this than we do, but it was still God's word. David is saying, through God's written word, God discloses himself. He says, here I am, by reaching out. And we can do more than know about God by interacting with his written word. We can be refreshed. It says it refreshes the soul. Some translations say revives the soul. Some may say converts the soul. The idea there is it brings something new life. It makes us wise. It opens our minds. It gives us joy. It gives us light. Do you see how these are all experiential, personal things? These are things that happen deep down inside of you that start changing your world. And, and the soul, in the mind, in the heart, in the eyes, God's word reaches down on the inside and begins to change us from the inside out. David is saying through the creation we can know about God, but we suppress that truth. So God gives us his word that starts way down, going down deep in our hearts and brings out new life, gives us a new mind, gives us new eyes, and brings us new joy. So we were, we were truth suppressors before, but now God's self-disclosure bypasses that, goes right down into the depths of our hearts where our sin lives, and like it says in Isaiah, it makes deserts bloom. Or like Ezekiel talked about, it makes dry bones come alive and put on flesh. You see it? God has taught us about himself in the creation, but we suppress the truth. So he speaks to us through his word and puts the truth into our hearts so that it would come out. And we wouldn't just know about him, but that we would experience him. And this, all of this becomes, well, it says in verse 10, more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. It's the greatest thing ever. Back to my buddy Derek. This is this is not the base in the closet. This is past Derek saying 
Great Mafia have this. This is Derek on the stage making beautiful music with the bass and everybody hearing it. That's what God's word does. It changes our experience. Um, the Apostle Paul again writing to his protege Timothy reflects on this idea and he says the scripture is God breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. He's saying it, it has an effect. Or Isaiah, reflecting on this truth, says that God's word does not go out from him and then return void. But it always accomplishes its purpose. Do you see what the psalmist is getting at here? Now, knowing about God is awesome. Because we would never get to do that if God didn't show us. But actually knowing him, actually experiencing him, that's crazy. And he gives us that when he jumps out and says, here I am. Now, that goes beyond just reading the Bible kind of stuff. That goes beyond just God's written word kind of stuff. That goes into God's living word kind of stuff. Do you know that this is God's written word, but his living word? But this actually bears witness to what actually gives this power. It's not a book. It's a somebody. It's Jesus himself. Jesus is God's living word. Somebody asks, what is the word of God? The answer is Jesus and the scriptures that bear witness to him. So God doesn't save us by the Bible. He saves us by coming into our life as Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's big, here I am. And here in this book, that's the voice where we hear Jesus say that. That's why when Paul, reflecting on this whole idea of us suppressing the truth that we see in creation in our hearts so that we're all lost and without excuse, right next to that, he says this other thing. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is this bearing witness to the living word, Jesus. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation for anyone who believes. Now, that's incredible. That's not just God jumping out and saying, here I am. That's God jumping out and saying, here I am, chasing us down, grabbing a hold of us, turning our faces to him, and kissing us on the mouth, and saying, come with me. And did you know that that's what the Bible, that's what Christianity, that's what everything we're doing here is all about. So the third part of the psalm, David, having expounded, reflected on all of this, he shifts gears. In verse 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart 
Be pleasing in your sign, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, you recognize this, this verse, this is the verse that I pray before every sermon, just about, almost every week. So it's familiar to us. But why does David end with this? Well, it's simple. It's because God's self-disclosure, his general revelation, his special revelation, his big here I am, in nature, in the book, ultimately in Jesus, it commands a response from us. So David says, look at my heart. Examine me. I want to be pleasing in your sight. You are my rock and you are my redeemer. So I want us to end with this. All of us considering here, us asking what David asks, considering what God has disclosed to us and looking in our own hearts and asking ourselves, are we receiving what God is showing? Or are we stuck with putting the base in the cloth, <laughs> pressing the truth, plugging our ears, closing our eyes? Brothers and sisters, I want to invite you. Look out there today. See how glorious God is. Open this book. Read about how good he is. But folks, set your heart and your mind and eyes and your ears on Jesus Christ. What's God saying, here I am to you? You can know God. You can experience God. You can love God. He knows you. He loves you. He says, here I am. Let's pray.